Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. What a pleasure to worship the Lord together. And uh, yes, welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's uh, quite a blessing to be able to gather. And so uh, thanks, Bob, picking up for me last week. Um, I enjoyed watching from home. And uh, I do have one announcement. We do have, it's, it's, so it's well in the future, but we have booked the Coleroy Center for 15 to 18 April next year. Uh, yeah, so that's a Monday afternoon through a Thursday morning. And it's just a church camp uh, retreat. It's a gathering where we're going to have just times of hanging out, worship, activities. And uh, so if you're interested to go, please sign up on the list. Um, more details to come as far as pricing. And, uh, but if you'd like to be involved in the planning or some of the, um, you know, formulating what we're going to do, we're coming up with a theme, and then we're just going to uh, gather together and enjoy that time. And it's a beautiful part of the world, and God's blessed us with this opportunity. So looking forward to spending some time with you guys. Uh, and uh, may the Lord bless that. We'll be in Genesis 46, starting in verse 31, if you'll turn your Bibles there. And let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you that uh, we make plans, but you direct us, you guide us. And God willing, we look forward to that time together next year. And we even look forward, Lord, to your word that you're going to speak to us right now. I pray, Lord, we would draw near to you with our hearts, that you might draw near to us, that we might humble ourselves before you to hear your voice, wanting to hear what you say so that we might do it. And I thank you that you are faithful, Lord. You are wise and holy and majestic. You're glorious and good. And uh, when you correct us, you do so with love. Thank you for your gentleness. Thank you for your str strength and your, your might that you uh, protect us and provide for us and that nothing can overcome you because you've overcome all. You're greater than all, our sovereign king. And so we worship you and we look forward to hearing you speak today in Jesus' name, amen. A good first impression is important in things like a job interview where you have a very limited amount of time to make a good impression. Um, you wanna put your best foot forward. And I find that this desire to impress or to, to present well can put a lot of pressure on us to measure up to some arbitrary standard that's catering to what other people are looking for. Like, I need to measure up to this standard to land that job or get that promotion or get that high opinion of others that I want. And it could be a desire for acceptance. It could be a fear of rejection that moves us to seek to present ourselves in the way that someone we feel like they will receive us. So we can create almost a false persona of what we imagine others want to see rather than being true to ourselves and to who God made us to be. And it's like, if I craft an image to please other people, I receive pleasure with their envy or approval. And so I can be self-serving in the way that I present myself. And we might do this to avoid confrontation or we want to fit in, we want to be accepted. And I don't think this ends when you're like in year eight. This continues through our lives where we have to consider like with, with age, with the different people or the circumstances, you, you want acceptance 
and we are often con- confronted with our desire to please people or to please ourselves rather than God. But really, a good first impression is not as important as a good lasting impression. When I think back to my youth, many of my best friends, I didn't start on a good note with them. It's like we started out with a conflict or there was an argument, but over time we became close and they became some of my best friends. Um, teachers that I had where on the first day they seemed harsh or, or gruff. They ended up being some of my favorite teachers because they, they really cared for the students and they, they were, were strong to uh, have, have some control over the class. I think about first impressions. Laura told me that when I first went up to say hi to her, uh, I had just had a drink at the bubbler and I had a noticeable drip of water hanging off my chin. <laughs> Apparently I had a drinking problem. Uh, but now we're married. So there was like that first impression. We're like, this guy, he can't even like drink water without getting it all over himself. And, and, but there was a good impression in the end. Now we can make an inaccurate assumption or a judgment about someone based upon a first impression, that's not true. And we can do the same thing with God. We can make this inaccurate view that God is brutal or he is uh, vindictive or unfair. But as we read the word, we recognize as he corrects our misconceptions and our assumptions and our poor judgments to recognize that he's just, he's righteous, he's good, he's always good. We imagined ourselves good and decent until we read the Bible and then we realized how wretched we are and that we need him, we need forgiveness. So Joseph, he reveals himself to his brothers. He had said this in Genesis 45, a little bit of background starting in verse 10. He told his brothers, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Pharaoh, when he heard that Joseph's brothers had come, he was like, great, your brothers are here. Let them dwell in the best of the land. He sent some carts to carry Jacob and his household back to Egypt. And Joseph has this emotional reunion with his dad, whom he hadn't seen in 22 years. And uh, there were still five years of global famine. And so Joseph, he did all he could in his power to provide for his family, to care for them. And what we'll see in this passage is a natural inclination that he had and we have to look to our own resources and to seek favor from man rather than seeking God and trusting in him. And we could be more intent on presenting an image we think others will accept and approve of rather than resting in God and believing his promise, believing what he has said. And God's desire is that we would grow in our faith. We would look to him and rely on him more than ourselves. Verse 31, then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me and the men are shepherds for their occupation has been to feed livestock and they have brought their flocks, their herds and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? That you shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our father's that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now from the moment that Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, he said, you're gonna dwell in Goshen. That's where I want you to live. But he was second in command. Pharaoh had the last word. Pharaoh was the king. And so 
Joseph's resided in Egypt as a slave, also as a ruler. And he has had known a lot of, I guess he's moved in many different society, in different areas of society. And he had insight into Egyptian culture and society and politics that his family didn't. And he used this information to coach them to avoid what they believed was abominable. Because we've read before that it was abominable for Hebrews to eat. So the Egyptians did not want to eat with the Hebrews. That was like a no-no. It was a faux pas. You just do not do that in Egypt. We also see that they hated shepherds. Sheep were animals that would eat everything. They would graze up. They would eat down to the very roots. And they saw them as unclean and the people that tended them as base or uh, kind of low society. And so he says, guys, don't mention anything about being shepherds. Talk about your experience with cattle because that's what you should emphasize. Livestock, the Egyptians prized. They viewed them as sacred. So it wasn't a lie to avoid the fact that they were shepherds and their fathers were shepherds, but it was to avoid an uncomfortable truth to paint themselves in the best light for their, their positive benefit. And this is really manipulation. It toes the line of deceit. Now, manipulation in itself is not wrong, the word, because that just means to handle or manage skillfully, right? If I dislocate my finger, a physio or a physician can manipulate it back into position. That's good, right? Putting it back where it should go. Uh, many can attest to the benefits of having muscles or joints manipulated to relieve stress and pressure, and, and they, it has a a beneficial effect, promotes recovery, and reduces pain. But manipulation is sinful when it's mixed with deceit, which is to conceal or misrepresent the truth with the aim to benefit yourself at the expense of others. It's intentional misleading of people to tell them only some of the truth, to cause them to believe a lie, or to manipulate it in our favor. So not regards to the other people, but just like what I'm trying to get at, my motive for doing this. Jeremiah 9, 8 gives an example. It says, their tongue is an arrow shot out. It speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in his heart he lies in wait. Deceit, it's the ammunition of the hypocrite, like Judas who kissed Jesus to betray him. So he's all lovey-dovey, he's friendly to Jesus when he's talking to him, but he had taken money to betray him. So he was deceitful in what he did. Speaking the truth doesn't mean unfiltered, full disclosure without thoughts of the feelings or the people who are around us because the Holy Spirit will guide us to speak in love, to speak the truth. And if it's fear of, so it's our, it's our motive in why I say something or why I don't. If it's the fear of rejection, if it's the fear of offending somebody that keeps me from speaking the truth, if it, my words are motivated by deceit or self-interest and not the glory of God, then we, I sin by unbelief if we are deceiving people trying to gain advantage. So Joseph's using his political role. He's diplomatic to influence Pharaoh by telling his brothers not to mention being shepherds. He's pragmatic on, top, on behalf of his family to solve their problem with food. He, he was setting them up in the best of the land when the famine was over. This was a good place for grazing. And by avoiding offense, Joseph's like, this is how you're going to live in the land. 
By avoiding offense, you can have favor with Pharaoh. And really, we can do this in regards to faith in Christ. We can hope to please or try to avoid offending an unbelieving crowd to curry favor with them rather than advancing Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God by faith. And we could be so diplomatic, and, and I've seen this in myself, I can be so diplomatic in the things I say to avoid personal offense that I leave uncomfortable truths unsaid. Something that God wants me to say, I stop short of saying it because there's a chance that it might offend them and I might lose them as an audience. And it should be no surprise when people do not hear or respond to the truth when we're embarrassed to say it. So we need to be honest. And will we risk being rejected so that Christ might be received? We want that lost soul to come into the kingdom. I mean, we want that erring person, that believer who's wandered from the way to come back and to abide in Christ. And as Christ's ambassadors, we, have, we already have favor with Christ. We have favor with God. We've received. And we shouldn't value the favor of people over that because we've already received God's favor, haven't we? Through Christ. I like what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul's an ambassador of Christ. He says, it's like Jesus is pleading through my lips to Christians, be reconciled to God, return to him, return to him. And, and Paul's not threatening. He's not boasting. He's not mocking them. He's pleading with them. He's saying, guys, listen. It's like Jesus talking through me. Return to agreement and fellowship and unity with God. That's that heart of humility that God would have us speak to one another in. So Genesis 47, verse 1. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds, and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. So Joseph comes before Pharaoh. He announces the arrival of his family. He details, they brought their flocks and herds. They're settled in Goshen right now. It was a, a strategic plan. It's also called Ramses in Genesis 47, 11. Goshen's in the northeast part of Egypt, so it's very close to the border of Canaan. This means that they wouldn't have to travel through all the land and disrupt anything. They were close to the border. It was a great, condition, a great location for grazing. And uh, he selects five of his brothers. Now, we know that Joseph had 11 brothers. For some reason, he selects five. And I'm thinking, well, maybe the ones that cleaned up the best, that presented well. He's like, let's just get the, the cream of the crop here. Um, and he brings them before him. And then, of course, Pharaoh, he says, so what do you guys do for a job? And they went and said the one thing that Joseph said, don't say this. They're like, we and our fathers have been shepherds. So not only did they say we are shepherds, they go, yeah, we come from a long line of shepherds. We're shepherds. And Joseph, I wonder if he's like cringing, like, oh my goodness, guys, you had one job. You had one thing to do, and you just went and said it, right to the king. Now, like Joseph and his brothers, we will face situations where we'll be encouraged to say what other people want to hear or tempted to say what other people say we should say. 
And this is the case with Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now, this is just an illustration, but it's a great passage where Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and Ahab, king of Israel, they band together to drive the Syrian army that took Ramoth Gilead. And Jehoshaphat, he feared God, and he says, hey, Ahab, shouldn't we inquire of the Lord? So turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 22, starting in verse 6. One Kings 22, verse 6. And Ahab is the king of Israel, by the way. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. It says in 1 Kings 22, 6, Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? We know from the scripture that Ahab was not a man who feared God. He worshiped the Baals. And he had 400 prophets here who were yes men. They basically said whatever he wanted to hear. And he says, should we go up? All 400 of them, yes, go up. The Lord will deliver them into your hand. And Jehoshaphat discerns this. He's like, hmm. Could we get a real prophet of the Lord to inquire of the Lord? This is a very bold thing to say. I mean, 400 men, that's like five times the amount of seats that are in this room that are all saying, go up, O king. These prophets. And he's like, can't we hear from God? Very bold. 1 King 22, 8. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. So in all the northern kingdom, there was one man that the king knew. Well, that's a prophet of the Lord. And he's always prophesying bad things about me. So I hate that guy. All right, go get him. So he sends some messengers to go get him. Ahab preferred people to lie to him than to tell him the truth. Those were the people he surrounded himself with. This is the king. He wants people giving him they want him just returning like, oh, yeah, king, you're awesome. Yep, go up. The Lord will deliver you. And as he sends an officer to fetch Micaiah, as they're sitting on their thrones, they're treated to some drama. A man named Zedekiah, he made some horns of iron. He's like, yes, you're going to devour your enemies with these horns. And yeah, everyone's enthusiastic. Absolutely. We're going to win. Now, 1 Kings twenty-two thirteen, the messenger starts coaching Micaiah. It says, then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him saying, now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like one of them and speak encouragement. And Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. So the officer comes to him and says, all right, this is what you need to say. All of them have agreed to say, go up. They've encouraged the king. Listen to them. Listen to me, not to the word of the Lord. Don't speak the word of the Lord, but say what's been said. Speak encouragement. And Micaiah, he's like, I'm going to say what God tells me to say. Verse 15, then he came to the king and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? 
Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. It's likely that Micaiah, he employed a bit of a sarcastic tone where he's like, well, Micaiah, do we go up? Oh, go up. The Lord will deliver you into their hands or them into your hands. And the king's like, mm. Micaiah, how many times have I told you? Only speak the truth. And he's like, well, you want the truth? Israel's not going to have a king after this day. And he went on to explain that God has sent a lying spirit in the voice, in the mouths of Ahab's prophets that would lie to him, tell him to go up. He would go up and fall in battle. Zedekiah, he proceeds to punch Micaiah in the mouth. He, he insults him. And then Micaiah is thrown into prison. And he said in verse 28, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed all you people. So he warned him. He said, you're going up to die if you go up to Ramoth Gilead. And as he went up, it says he went up in disguise and a man at random pulled back a bow, just shot at random and it just slotted in through a chink in his armor, inflicting a mortal wound and he died by the end of the day. So you have 400 people that are saying, go up, O king, the Lord will deliver them into your hand. And you have one man who speaks the truth and that's, it was shown to be true in the end. Now the brothers of Joseph, they demonstrated more faith in being plainly honest with Pharaoh than Joseph did. They weren't too ashamed to tell the truth about they and their fathers being shepherds. They weren't trying to, ex ex really, because he said, emphasize your skill with cattle. They didn't say anything about cattle. All they did was say, we're shepherds, both we and our fathers. They were willing to identify with what the Egyptians considered abominable, throwing themselves upon God's mercy. You know, you don't need to be clever or even intelligent to tell the truth. Anybody can tell the truth. When we play to the crowd, we put pressure on ourselves to impress or seek favor with men rather than resting in the grace and the promise of God. In Genesis 46, God met with Jacob. Remember, he was just going up. After he received the word and was in those carts, God said, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. There I will make of you a great nation. They didn't have to live in Goshen to thrive. God said, I'm going to be with you. You're going to go to Egypt and I'm going to make there of you a great nation. They needed God. They didn't need Goshen. They needed to choose to trust him rather than carefully crafting answers to gave favor from the king. And what a great picture for us because times have changed, but people have not changed. We can fall into the trap of trying to please people rather than God, trying to please ourselves, trying to have a plan and trying to achieve it rather than resting in God's plan and timing. We can advise and coach people on how to live or what to say or without even seeking God for our own life and choices. And I like that his brothers weren't afraid to be shepherds when shepherds were an abomination, and it's what they were. David, he wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus, he's the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. And there are many people who might see Christ or those who follow him as abominable, but no, we ought to live out the truth of loving others, of speaking the truth in love, doing good to those who hate us, blessing and praying for those who spitefully use us 
promoting Jesus rather than ourselves. It's like we've received grace. Let's stand in it by faith and walk with him. Genesis 46, starting in verse 4. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land, because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Now, Joseph's brothers here are full of surprises. They said what Joseph said not to say, and now they do something that Joseph did not tell them to do. They just asked Pharaoh directly, please let us live in Goshen. That wasn't J Joseph's approach at all. Joseph had this strategy. He's like, all right, guys, go to Goshen. That's where you're going to settle. And then we'll talk to the king. We'll talk about your cattle skills. And then uh, you'll find favor with the king and he'll let you stay in Goshen. It just, just don't say anything stupid. His brothers, they're honest, they're straightforward, they're respectful. They have no elegant strategy whatsoever. They just said, can we please live in Goshen? And the king's like, oh, right on, your brothers are here? Yeah, live in Goshen. And then he's like, and if there's anyone who's good with cattle, make them the chief herdsman of my cattle. And I, I think Joseph's probably just sweating under his wig. He's like, oh my goodness, this is a disaster. This is not going well. You, you can't talk to the king like that. That's not how you address him. But the king is not bothered at all. And he gives them exactly the thing that they were looking for. And even more. He was just saying, oh, we want you, I want you to live in Goshen. And he's like, yeah, make him my foreman. Make him my labor superintendent of all of the herdsmen. This is unbelievable, right? Well, unbelievable if you don't know God. This is what God does. God does this. He moves people's hearts. He, he, it, when people have boldness to trust him, to believe his promises and humbly speak the truth, he answers and he does awesome things. Now we overcomplicate things, can't we? We can put this heavy burden on ourselves to create the right atmosphere for speaking the truth. <laughs> we kind of need to create the perfect time to talk about Jesus or or the best moment to invite someone to church or to share our testimony. And we might try to, you know, I don't know, get, get the right, get, it gets its feeling like this is the time. Trying to avoid anything that could be offensive, or we can go the opposite. We could try to just pick a fight with somebody and just argue or try to intellectually just manipulate them into the kingdom of God. And we imagine that a person won't respond to the gospel favorably if we say the wrong thing when Jesus can meet someone on the street and blind them with his glory like he did, kings, like he did uh, the apostle Paul when he was Saul, right? He's going around killing people. He's incarcerating people and Jesus just meets him. How awesome would it be for Jesus, for, for someone to meet Jesus through you because you you shared the gospel with them. You shared the truth of God's love. You didn't avoid what was important, but you asked a direct question 
And I think that's a good example here. Rather than dancing around like we really want to go to Goshen, we're not going to even mention Goshen, but to just say, please let us stay in Goshen. And he responded to it. Paul pleaded for Christ's sake. The brothers of Joseph, they said, please. It shows a humility rather than asserting self. Really an example for all of us to follow. Genesis 47, 7. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. So now J Joseph presents his father. And it says, Jacob blessed him. Isn't that awesome? The elderly Hebrew, he's lacking food in his country. He's able to bestow a blessing upon Pharaoh who was regarded as a deity among his people. So it's not Pharaoh blessing Jacob. It's Jacob blessing Pharaoh. And he says, how old are you? He doesn't say, what is your occupation? I think it's because he looked old. He, he wasn't really in, in, as fit as he once was. And he says, the days of my pilgrimage, 130 years, few and evil have been my days. I haven't measured up to the years of my fathers. When young people are asked how old they are, I like it how they want to be older than they are. They'll say like, I'm eight and a half, or eight and three quarters, or in, in six months, I'll be 21, or next year, I'll be 50, right? You start kind of, Jacob's honest about his age. He's downplaying it as an achievement though. He's like, he's not bragging about how old he is, uh, as if it was a, something worth boasting in, a testimony of his hard work or his clean living or his righteous reward. But you notice his interaction with Pharaoh, it begins with blessing and it ends with blessing. He blessed Pharaoh when he, when he met him and he blessed him when he parted from him. Jacob didn't go to Egypt to receive a blessing. He didn't appear before Pharaoh to gain favor in his eye. He, he came because he was already blessed by God who is most blessed. And in blessing Pharaoh, Jacob invoked prosperity and happiness from the Lord. And this is something God had promised Abraham. If you turn in your Bibles to Genesis 12, verse one, God promised that he would make Abraham and his descendants a blessing. This is just the beginning of God fulfilling what he had promised. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This blessing upon Abram, Upon Abraham, his family, it's all of grace. And by faith in God, they received his blessing and they blessed others. They were a blessing because God made them to be. It's like this blessing would be passed down through generations of those who feared the Lord. We read in Hebrews 11, 20 and 21, it says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped 
leaning on the top of his staff. So by faith in God, confidence, Isaac blesses both Jacob and Esau. And Jacob also blessed the sons of Joseph that were born in Egypt. And they were, they were like, they were leaving. They knew that their life was coming to an end on earth, but they were going to their fathers. They were going to, to God and they were also committing their family into the care of their heavenly father. Now notice that the blessing, it was extended to Jacob and Esau. It wasn't just Jacob who was blessed. Both of them, all of them, all of the sons were blessed. And this illustrates how blessing from God is extended to all people, but it's those who trust and fear God that are in a position to receive the full benefit of that blessing. I mean, we've all been blessed, right? Whether you know him or not, God causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. He causes the rain to fall. He causes the crops to grow. He provides for the needs of all people. Yet it's those who enter into a covenant with God through faith in Jesus that have a glorious future that outshines the sun in his presence forever. And so in the, in the face of a famine in uh, a strange land, God made his people to be a blessing. So awesome. Genesis 47, 11. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread, according to the number in their families. Joseph settled Jacob in the best of the land, supplied their food, and it was all by the command of Pharaoh. It wasn't under, under the table or anything. This was like what the king commanded them to do to dwell in that land and to be fed. And so their physical needs were met. They were given land, food, even that opportunity for work. And I'm sure with, with cattle dying and with problems that they were having, that jobs were um, becoming scarce. And it's by faith in God and his promise made to them and their fathers, they were most blessed. It's like God had already blessed them and God continued to bless them. Now, when we ask God for blessing, Usually it's talking about the here and now. It's to be gifted good health or prosperity or to get money, to have good business or what's pleasing to us. We can, we can see the value, right, of living in the best of the land. We're like, yeah, that is a blessing. I'm like, I approve. I approve of that blessing. The best of the land. We don't always see the blessing in having extra work. Like, oh, extra work. Or that uh, you're getting older. You know, to an eight-year-old, that's a really cool thing. But to someone who's feeling, feeling it a bit more, it's not so great. Or the blessing of, of needing to move. They had to move. I don't like moving. I'd rather not move. But they moved from the land that God gave them into a foreign land. And it was a blessing from the Lord. He provided for them. We need to understand that the blessing that God gives, it's not in what you have or what you don't have. It's in God. That he is the blessing. And by faith in him, we can rest secure and in peace because he is faithful who promised. And because of your circumstances, because of how you're feeling, because of your age, you could feel like you cannot be a blessing to anyone and that you're in fact a burden to them. But know in Christ, 
You are a blessing because he created you to be one. See the difference? It's not just receiving something as a blessing. He created you to be the blessing. Right where he has you. To be the blessing as Jacob was in his old age. It's not what you have. It's not what you can do. It's who Jesus created you to be. A new creation. A blessing that his life and his light would shine through you according to his grace. Turning your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. One Peter three, verse eight. So this just really, I guess, expands upon that concept. Speaking to believers, Peter writes, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Peter exhorts people united by faith in Christ who likely did not always have the best first impression of one another, to unite in the fear of God and the love of God in one another. The lasting impression they were to make was one of love and compassion, to love as brothers, to humbly extend kindness to each other. And, and rather than demanding an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth or a burn for a burn, as according to the law, trading evil for evil or barbs, trading barbs with each other, they were to return blessing. Now notice, this is from believers. It's like, don't return evil for evil. Your brother can do something that's terrible. Joseph's a perfect example. His brothers intended him to be sold. That's an evil thing to do. God redeemed it for good. It says, instead of returning in kind to return blessing. So evil happens to you. Abuse happens to you. You bless. That's what comes out of us is blessing. Now, the worldly way of thinking is the abused person becomes the next abuser, the next bully. But by God's grace, this one, by his, by his grace, is a blessing and can bless. And notice in our text, will inherit a blessing. So that is remarkable. God blesses. He makes us to be a blessing. And he says, no, you will inherit a blessing. There is more blessing for us in the presence of, with God forever. So we're called as followers of Christ to bless and be a blessing whatever happens to us, knowing we will inherit a blessing as we're obedient. So instead of using our mouths, and and Peter goes through just some really practical things here. Instead of using your mouth to curse other people or to use deceit, we're to bless them. We're to pray for them and to bless the Lord who has given us such blessing. And through this new covenant of the gospel, we have peace with God. And we ought to make peace with one another, our pursuit as we follow Christ together. Now, it's likely I or we or you, we've all made bad impressions on other people. Maybe they just saw us on a bad day or we lost our temper or, or said something that was just careless. 
We didn't even realize how much we hurt someone. Um, but let's determine to bless the Lord and to bless others that our lasting impression would be one of grace and love and compassion and uh, kindness to one another. We can say, few and evil have been our days on earth, but we have this incorruptible, undefiled, enduring inheritance with our Savior. He lifts our burdens. He comforts our souls. He provides for our needs, and he's made us a blessing. So let's rest in him, and let's be the blessing he's called us to be. And it won't be through us trying hard, but by faith in him, walking with Jesus and abiding. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the blessing that you give us, the blessing that you have created us to be through our Lord Jesus, and for this inheritance of blessing that you have laying before us, this amazing future. And I pray, Lord, we would enter into that future even now as we choose to embrace speaking the truth in love, seeking to trust you and your promises over our own schemes and plans, and entrusting our future to you. Lord, I thank you for this uh, example that you've given us in your word and for going straight to our heart, pointing out our motives, that we have been deceitful, that we have manipulated things at times to seek our own benefit, that we have not trusted you. And Lord, I repent of unbelief. I pray that we would uh, all join together in, in choosing to speak the truth and choosing to honor you and uh, casting our cares upon you because you care for us, not returning in kind. And I pray we would leave a lasting impression of your love and grace wherever we go because you are with us, you will help us, and you are our blessing. And we praise you, Lord, that you are most blessed. We, we exalt your holy name, and we thank you for um, coming to us, for drawing near to us when we draw near to you, and for revealing our need, for offering forgiveness, for offering salvation through faith in Jesus, and hope that this world cannot provide. Lord, I pray we would lead others to you by our example, and that you'd use us, Lord, to shine bright for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.